The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To worship God by hearing from His Word. I invite you to open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 10 as we make our way through the book of Leviticus together. We're looking at the entirety of chapter 10 this morning. Leviticus chapter 10, I'll give our attention to God Himself as He speaks to us through His holy and abiding Word. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized or strange fire before the Lord, which He had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elsavon, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers and the whole house of Israel bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his surviving sons. Take the grain offering that is left to the Lord's food offerings, and eat it unleavened beside the altar. For it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place, because it is your due and your son's due from the Lord's food offerings. For so I am commanded. But the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place you and your sons and your daughters with you, for they are given as your due and your sons due from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed and the breast that is waved, they shall bring with the food offerings and the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be yours and your sons with you as a due forever as the Lord has commanded. Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, 
Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. And yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. Well, this concludes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. May God now be pleased to add his blessing to it. Well, it is really easy for us to take things for granted. We can take our very life for granted until we have a near-death experience. We can take loved ones for granted until we either lose them or almost lose them. We can take our freedoms for granted in our nation as we see going on today. But one thing we can especially take for granted is the grace of the gospel. We could take this for granted by forgetting what we would receive if it wasn't for the sacrifice that was offered up on our behalf. We know that God is gracious and merciful, yet we can take that for granted and forget that He is a God full of terrifying judgment, which we would receive if it wasn't for that sacrifice. But it's in our passage today that we are reminded of who God is as holy and just. We just saw in chapter 9, God consumed the sacrifice to display His glory with the people shouting. Now we immediately go on to see God send out fire from His presence to consume Nadab and Abihu thus showing forth his glory with the result of Aaron remaining silent. And what we see here with this contrast is that God will glorify himself either by consuming the sacrifice or consuming sinners in judgment. And so we see three reasons why we need the perfect sacrifice. And they are God expects exact Submission, entire separation, and our sin to be eliminated. That is eliminated sin. So first, exact submission. We see in verse 1, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So we see two of Aaron's sons, of his four sons, Aaron's oldest two sons, Nadab and Abihu, take a censer, which is like a pan with hot coals in it, and then put some incense on it, causing it to burn, and bring it before the Lord. And of course, this is a good thing. God requires incense to be burned before his presence. It's good to offer this unto the Lord. However, we read that they offered unauthorized fire on it. Literally, they offered strange fire. Fire that the Lord did not recognize because he had not commanded this type of incense offering. 
Now, we don't know exactly what the sin was here. You know, fire needed to be taken from the altar. And God says this was a strange fire. Did they take it from a different source? Did they get the fire from a different source? The incense that they were to use is particularly prescribed in Exodus 30, including all the exact ingredients they are to use. Did they use different ingredients? Also, Leviticus 16 seems to suggest that Nadab and Abihu tried to enter the most holy place, the place that only Aaron could enter into once a year. But they tried to enter into it. Therefore, the Lord struck them down. In any case, the Scripture does not tell us exactly what they did wrong, but it does tell us everything we need to know by saying at the end of verse 1, that they did which the Lord had not commanded them. This is really all we need to know, that it was something that the Lord had not commanded. This is in stark contrast to the many times we read in the previous chapter that they did as the Lord had commanded. But here we read, they did that which the Lord had not commanded. And I want you to notice the precise way in which this is put here. It does not say that they did something which the Lord had forbidden them. Rather, it says that they did something which the Lord had not commanded them. The principle here is, unless God commanded it, don't do it. And not, you can do whatever you want so long as I didn't forbid it. It's kind of like a no trespassing sign. Do not trespass. And the person does it anyway. That person's doing something that is forbidden versus that person has permission to be at that house and sees that person's truck in the driveway and decides to take it for a drive. And the owner says, what are you doing with my truck? Well, you never said I couldn't do it versus I never said you could. You did not get permission. Well, that is the principle here. They are to do only what the Lord has commanded. Nothing more, nothing less. This is one of the places in Scripture where we get what is referred to as the regulative principle of worship. That is, God's Word alone regulates our worship. And that we do only what the Lord has commanded. If the Lord has not commanded it, we don't do it. And this is particular for our corporate worship. When we gather together as God's people, when there's a call to worship and a dismissal at the end with a benediction, in between we only do what the Lord has commanded because we see this principle here with them offering up incense in the presence of the Lord. The context is worship, coming into God's presence, drawing near to Him for worship. We not only avoid the things that God has forbidden, we also don't do anything unless God has commanded it. So, for example, someone comes to the elders and says, I have this wonderful idea. This wonderful idea that really gets me excited and pleases me. I think 
that all of God's people should submit to my idea here in worship. And, and I think we should have a, a, a drama in worship. Maybe have the kids reenact uh, something from the Bible. Wouldn't that be neat? Or a time of testimony where we don't preach the Word of God. We just have people just share what's going on uh, in, on their heart, what God has been doing. Now, is having a wholesome drama or play or a time of testimony inherently sinful? Of course not. But does that mean that we can do it in public worship? Well, the question is, did the Lord command it? Did the Lord say, thus says the Lord, when you draw near to me, have a drama. Don't preach the word, have a time of testimony. You see, the question is not, is it inherently bad that is forbidden? The question is, has the Lord commanded it? Remember, Nadab and Abihu, they did something which the Lord never commanded them. They were not sitting there offering up incense to an idol. They didn't bring an idol into the presence of God. Rather, they brought incense as they were supposed to, but they didn't do something. Or they did something that God did not command them to do. So we ask the question, did God command us to have a drama? Did God command us to do these things in corporate worship? And if the answer is no, then we don't do them. I think the mindset today is to go by the principle, well, did God forbid it? God never forbids having a drama, and it's not inherently bad, therefore we can do it. But the principle stated here in Leviticus 10.1 and other places in Scripture is we only do what God has commanded. Now again, this applies to our corporate worship on the Lord's Day. Can the homeschool co-op, for example, do a drama or a musical in our own building on a Thursday night get-together? Of course. There's nothing inherently sinful with that. But when it comes to our public worship on the Lord's Day. We only do that which God has commanded. And we see how serious God is about this. Look at verse 2. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. So we see how God in His perfect justice, which is in no way extreme because it's perfect, responded to Nadab and Abihu doing something which the Lord had not commanded. He torches them. He sets them on fire. He responds to this strange fire with a strange fire of his own. They were struck dead, but their clothing was not consumed. They were carried away in their clothes, it says in verse 5. What kind of fire is this that kills them, consumes them, but doesn't consume their clothing. Some have said, well, it's lightning. We don't really know, but we do know it's a strange fire. They offered up strange fire, and so God in his perfect justice responds by way of strange fire. But we see here how seriously God takes his worship. Nadab and Abihu did not get a written reprimand or some remedial training. They got the death penalty instantly 
for the very first violation. And again, it's not that they were offering up the incense to a golden calf or bringing an idol into the, ta- the tabernacle. Rather, they were doing something that God required, offering up incense. But they added something to it which the Lord never commanded. They did something which the Lord did not command. And this means they did it according to their own will rather than according to the revealed will of God in His Word. Because if it didn't come from God, it came from man. And God did not see that as a minor thing or as no big deal. He put them to death. God is serious about His worship. And this is why we try to do in public worship only what God has commanded. As we collectively look at His Word, remember His Word is not an instruction manual. First do this, then do this, then do that. Rather, we see God's Word come to us in a story, we see it come to us in epistles, and we put it all together, and we see what God calls us to do. A call to worship, singing His Word, reading His Word, preaching His Word, publicly praying according to His Word, taking an offering, preaching, and doing the Lord's Supper, the visible Word, and then ending with a blessing and the benediction. These are things that the Bible tells us we should do. They may be boring to us and to our flesh. It's not flashy. It's not entertaining. But we don't gather together to be entertained. We gather together to worship the living God. And because He is the one being worshipped, He gets to determine how He is worshipped. It's His will and not man's. Now there are some circumstances that we need to decide on, like what time we meet. The Bible doesn't say, thus says the Lord. The holy time to meet is 10.30 a.m. Mountain Time. Neither does it say the sermon needs to be this long. Although in the book of Acts, it does seem like that the sermon can go to midnight. Just kidding. I'm not going to go to midnight. I can't even handle that. And how many songs we sing. What we read for our scripture reading, a few things with regards to our order of service. These are circumstances that, 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 are, that we decide on based on the light of nature or common sense. But we do not want to take away any element, nor add any element. Preaching, singing, so forth and so on. Now, we are not concerned about fire raining down on us. Although... Paul does talk about in 1 Corinthians 11 that some of them died and fell very ill because of how they treated the Lord's Supper, something done in in public worship. So while we're not concerned about fire raining down on us, neither do we want to put the Lord uh, to the test. And for some of you, sometimes it's a matter of putting down your phones and not talking during worship. Not to say that those who are using their phones for notes or Bible app uh, is something wrong with that, but 
sometimes texting during worship service, sometimes talking during worship, as if being in the presence of God is an insignificant thing. May we not put the Lord to the test and realize what we are doing when we gather together. But just because we don't get fire rained down on us or severe consequences doesn't mean that God doesn't care about it. We don't say, well, the measure of what's right and wrong before God is whether or not fire rained down from heaven if I did it. So the other day, you know, I lost my temper and got really angry, but, you know, I didn't, fire didn't rain down on me from heaven, so God must be okay with it. That's not how we determine things. Rather, we do it because God cares about these things, as he reveals in his word. We want to honor and glorify him by obeying his word, especially when we gather together. As verse 3 says, Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. So when we draw near to God, which we all do now as priests to our God, not just the Levites, we must sanctify God. That is, we must treat Him as holy. We must glorify Him. We must know that we are coming before a great and glorious God and we must treat Him as God, submitting ourselves to His will. We also see how exact and perfect submission to God's will must be with what Moses goes on to command. Look at verses 4 and 5. And Moses called Mishael and Elzavan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. So Moses had Nadab and Abihu's second cousins carrying them out. This is because, as we will read in Leviticus 21, the priests could not draw near or come in contact with the dead, even a family member. So Aaron was not able to carry out even his own sons. They had to call distant family member to do this. And Nadab and Baihu are not given an honorable burial, but rather they're brought outside the camp. They're treated as discarded parts of the sacrifice. And we go on to read in verses 6 or 7, And Moses said to Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die, and the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. It was customary for those who mourn to express their mourning in that day by tearing their clothing by letting the, the hair on their head hang loose, by wearing sackcloth and ashes. However, Moses commanded Aaron and his sons not to do this because they were serving as priests. Now, it's not that they couldn't inwardly mourn, but rather they could not express this mourning in the common customary cultural way they did back in their day. This is because they were the anointed priests as symbolized by the anointing oil on them. 
And also because in this system, the people were accepted as indicated by the clothing of the priest. Remember that the priest wore that turban on his head with the plate that said, Holy to the Lord, so that the people were accepted. In this typological system, if he removed that, the people would cease to be accepted. God was showing that their acceptance before him was tied to the high priest. And this is why Moses says, if you do this, if you disobey the Lord, if you do not exactly continue to submit to him, wrath will go against the people. And so we see the reason why God's people are not consumed by his wrath is because of the exact submission of the high priest. That is what keeps the wrath of God away from his people. It's dependent upon the priest's exact obedience and even under suffering. How hard this would have been for the high priest to do. But he had to obey even under intense suffering, so that the wrath of God would not go out against the people. And do we not see this point to our Lord Jesus Christ? Look, we are required to exactly submit to God's will and everything, but we fail to do it. We do not do it. And so wrath should come out against us. But we have a great high priest who perfectly obeyed God in everything, even under suffering. And that is why wrath does not go against us. It's not our obedience, our submission to God's will, that keeps His wrath at bay. Rather, it is our great high priest who keeps God's wrath at bay. His obedience even under suffering. And we also see here why we need that perfect sacrifice. In chapter 9, fire goes out before the Lord to consume that sacrifice to His glory. In chapter 10, we see that same fire go out before the Lord to consume Nadab and Abihu. It's either the sacrifice or sinners who are consumed. And this is why We need that perfect sacrifice which our Lord Jesus Christ has offered up on our behalf and perfectly submitting to God so that we would be covered with a righteousness not of our own because as we see here, one slip up is all it takes. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ, our righteousness never slipped up so that we are forever secure. A second reason why we need the perfect sacrifice is entire separation. We see this in verses 8 through 11. Where it says, And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So this is a command for the priest when they serve in the tent of meeting. This is not an absolute prohibition against all drinking for God's people. 
This is the Lord speaking directly to Aaron. The only time in Leviticus that he speaks directly to Aaron. And we also see in Psalm 104.15 that God gave wine as a gift uh, to his creatures to gladden their heart. And in 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul tells Timothy, a pastor, to drink a little wine in order to help with his stomach ailment. So drinking, period, is, is not sin. Getting drunk certainly is sin, but not drinking alcohol, period. So why does God tell Aaron and the priest not to drink wine when serving in the tent of meeting? Well, it is because, as our verse says here, the priests are to distinguish between the holy and the common, the clean and unclean. It has reference to these clean and unclean distinctions, which involves prohibitions on certain foods and certain fluids that are not inherently sinful. So, for example, after a woman would give birth, she was not allowed to enter into the tent of meeting for 40 days. Is there anything inherently sinful with giving birth? No. But God is using these things in order to teach about spiritual uncleanness, which is what we'll see next week, Lord willing. And so what God is doing here is He's forbidding His priests who are to teach the people with regards to clean and unclean distinctions not to partake in alcohol, something that's not inherently sinful, while serving in the tent of meeting. Because they are the ones that are going to show the people and, and teach them this distinction. And so God gives this distinction on the priest. And it could also have something to do with uh, their judgment never being uh, muddied that they remain crystal clear at all times because they are to make important distinctions with regards to whether or not the people can come into the tent of meeting or not. But what these laws reveal is that God expects entire separation from all that is unholy and unclean spiritually. As we'll see, God is using the physical cleanliness laws to teach us what he wants with regards to spiritual cleanliness and separation from the world. However, this reveals our need for the perfect sacrifice. This, re this reveals our need for Christ who comes and will cleanse us from all our sins and deliver us from the power of our uncleanliness. The third and final reason why we need the perfect sacrifice is eliminated sin. Eliminated sin. We see in verses 12 through 15, Moses remind the priests regarding the commands of uh, the sacrifices that have just been offered in chapter 9. They still needed to be attended to. Even though a great tragedy has occurred, they still needed to exercise the responsibilities as priests. Now, when it came to the sin and purification offering, if its blood was smeared inside the tabernacle, then it was not eaten, but it was discarded. However, if the blood was smeared on the altar outside, then the priest had to take some of the sacrifice, go inside to the holy place, and eat that sacrifice. And we see that is what they were to do because chapter 9 says they took some of the blood and put it on the altar outside. And so we read in verses 16 through 18, Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering, the purification offering, 
back in Leviticus 4, the instructions for that. And behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you, that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. So God had commanded through Moses that the sin purification offering needed to be eaten within the sanctuary if its blood was not applied there. But it wasn't. They did not eat it. They left it there on the altar and the whole thing had burned up. And so Aaron responds, verses 19 through 20. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these happened to me. If I had not eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. So Aaron says that he did not eat it in light of his son's dying, in light of what happened to him. And Moses approved of that answer. What does this mean? What's going on here? Well, we first have to understand why the priest were to eat the sin or purification offering inside the holy place. This is the offering that only they were to eat, the communion or peace offering both priests and people can eat, but this one only they had to eat in the holy place. Why is that? Well, we get our answer in verse 17. Look at that again. Where Moses says that they are to eat it because or so that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord. So the priests are to eat the sin or purification offering in the holy place in order to bear the iniquity and sin of the congregation to make atonement for them that is, to cancel out their sins so that they may be at one mint, that is, peace with God. Part of the picture of how God is showing that sins will be taken away here is by the priest eating part of that sacrifice. It is revealing a picture of the priest bearing the sin of the people in his body. It was on the sacrifice that the sins of the people were put. And not only was the sacrifice slaughtered and burned to show how God would deal with that sin, also part of it, with that sin being placed on that sacrifice, was eaten, was absorbed by the priest to show how God would eliminate that sin. And this points to our Lord Jesus Christ, who, as 1 Peter 2.24 says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. Now, obviously, Jesus did not literally eat our sins, or there's some substance of sin that Jesus took into His digestive system or something like that. Rather, God was picturing the entire elimination of our sins and the high priest, and not the people personally eating it. 
removing it in his body. Well, Jesus personally eliminated all our sins before God by personally taking it upon himself, upon his shoulders, where his body was placed on the cross and in body and soul he suffered for our sins, thus removing all our sins for us, leaving us with none of them to bear. Only the priest eat this sacrifice and not the people, showing that Christ, our great high priest alone, would bear our sins in his body on the tree. And in that way, our sin would be completely eliminated in the presence of God so that we bear it no more. But in this instance, we read that Aaron did not eat because of what happened that day. And he mentions what happened to his sons. And what is happening here is he is saying that he shared in the sins that his sons committed. Aaron, as the high priest, was responsible for overseeing everything. And Exodus 30 says that only Aaron was to offer the incense. At least it indicates that. Only Aaron was to go into that most holy place. And yet, as high priest, as chief priest, he let his sons do it. And so Aaron shares in part of the guilt of what happened that day. And so how could he bear the sin of that offering in his body if he shared in some sense in the guilt of his sons. Therefore, he just let it burn up in order to deal with that sin. Because he has sin of his own. And Moses, upon hearing this, approved his reasoning. And this reveals our need for a better and more perfect high priest. One of the things with the types in the Old Testament is that it not only points to a similarity with Jesus, it also shows a dissimilarity and why we need Jesus. The type always falls short. And so that's what we see here with Aaron. He has his own sin to deal with. and He cannot bear in his body the people's sins. And so this shows us our need for our Lord Jesus Christ who had no sin of his own. He was able to stand condemned in our place Bearing our sin in his sinless body. This is why we need Christ. This is why we need a perfect sacrifice who perfectly and exactly submitted to God even under intense suffering, who was entirely separate from all sin, holy, harmless, innocent, and blameless, bearing our sin. We who are defiled and filled with all uncleanness and unholiness. And we need his work and completely eliminated our sin by burying it all in his body on the tree. And thanks be to God, he has by himself for his sin. He was the one who is consumed on our behalf so that we who have violated God's will, who knows how many times, but would not be consumed like Nadab and Abihu. So may we not take for granted the perfect sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ.
our true and better high priest. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to remember even what we deserve. Only so that we would remember what Christ took in our place to increase our gratefulness and thankfulness. Let us not take for granted that sacrifice that has been offered up, considering what we would get if there was no sacrifice. But let us do so that we may be grateful and show our gratefulness not only in what we say, but also in what we do. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.